Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, folks, that's right. It's Brett Bigschwag Wagner, the host of Speed Channel's Pastime. And listen, when I need advice on life or anything else that's out there that's bothering me, I listen to The Bruce Collins Show. Why aren't you... The Bruce Collins Show, featuring Bruce Collins and the Chad Miles Report. Welcome back to another thrill ride, another edition of the Bruce Collins Show right here at WWZN, 1510 AM, Revolution Boston. And I should put up a little disclaimer this week. Uh, joining us this week is legendary conspiratorial historian Ralph Epperson. And uh, Ralph warned me that he would be bringing some very controversial information to the program this week. So I want to put up a disclaimer that the views expressed by Ralph Epperson are not necessarily those of myself or Chad Miles, who's going to be joining me here in a second, or even WWZN Revolution Boston. The views expressed by Ralph Epperson are Ralph Epperson's, although I will go on record and say they are very compelling. Uh, he's done the research, though, so I can't really vouch for it. I'm, I'm interviewing him as a guest, and so he'll be talking about some very controversial things in the second half of the program. But 
Joining me right now, but not with the Chad Miles Report, is Chad Miles. Chad, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good, Bruce. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but I have some bad news for you. Would you like to hear it? Sure. What's that? Well, on my way to the studio, uh, I lost the Chad Miles Report. I think I left it on the freeway. Oh, my goodness. Well, what are we going to do? Well, I've uh, alerted the uh, proper channels, and... uh, we should have it back by next week. That's sensitive information. I hope it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. It's shaped like a, a box, but it's bigger than a bread basket. Whatever a bread basket is. Nobody uses a bread basket anymore. Why did I say that? Do you know what a bread basket <laughs> is, Chad? <laughs> um, I don't know if I've seen a bread basket outside of a museum. That's right. So you sort of know what it is. They put Or my grandmother's house when That's she right. was alive. Yes, I'm kind of aging myself there by bringing that up. By the way, um, Chad's website is hearkenthewatchman.com, H-E-A-R-K-E-N, hearkenthewatchman.com. And I confess, I confess right here on live radio that is taped that the reason why we can't do the Chad Miles Report this week is because Ralph Epperson kept talking and talking and talking, and his new nickname is the Energizer Bunny. But we love but that's him. That's a good thing. We love him, and he really has a lot of interesting information when he stops by the program. Chad, um, in the few minutes that we have, tell us a little bit about HearkenTheWatchman.com for those who may be joining us who, uh, for the first time this week, um, again, the website is HearkenTheWatchman.com, H-E-A-R-K-E-N, HearkenTheWatchman.com. HearkenTheWatchman is a website that... Um accomplishes a couple of different things. If you are a believer in God, if you are a Christian, then the articles on the website, well, let me, let me back up. The website is um, a website that has articles and uh, has the writings of different, uh, I would call Christian intellectuals, I guess for lack of a better term. But what I did was I combined different authors and different researchers that are Christians and have a Christian worldview and invited them to write weekly articles for this website. So if you're a Christian and you come to this website and you read these articles, they will, some of them will challenge you to think beyond what you've, uh, what you've learned or what you've experienced in church. Um, it will, I guess, thinking outside the box is a way to put it. I don't like that term, but that's kind of uh, the term you could use. So if, if you're a believer, it'll some of the articles will challenge you in that respect. All from a Christian worldview, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything heretical on there, although some people might disagree, and some people have disagreed with that, and they've written to me, but I don't think there is. If you want to, if your listeners want to go there and and pick through the articles and tell me, please, by all means, do so. If you're a non-believer, on the other hand, these articles hopefully will challenge you in respect to looking at the possibility that there is really a God, that there is accountability for uh, what you, not for what you do. There is there is an accountability after you die to uh, to a Creator and to a God, and hopefully some people who are maybe involved in the occult and who are involved in the new age movement and things things like that will come to the website read these articles and start to 
make the connection that uh, you're not going to really understand any of these things, the true nature of these things, until you have a biblical worldview, until you have a Christian worldview. That's HearkenTheWatchman.com's Chad Miles, ladies and gentlemen. Chad will be back next week, and I'll be back next week because I don't get to talk too much in the second half of this show. But uh, Ralph will be taking over the microphone, so just buckle up here. We'll be back with Ralph Epperson. Chad will be back next week. Take it away, commercials. Ralph Epperson is my guest today. His website is ralph-epperson.com or ralph-epperson. That's E-P-P-E-R-S-O-N, ralph-epperson.com. He's the author of The Unseen Hand, which is a book that woke up a lot of people, and he's really a legendary conspiratorial historian. Ralph, I'm going to give you the microphone. We have a limited amount of time, but feel free to dive right in with what you would like to talk about today. Well, I want to talk about the Vietnamese War for a very important reason. We'll cover it at the very end, because this war uh, was one that we shouldn't have fought, and we did, and it led to, uh, the, I believe, the 9-11 event, and we'll discuss how it was. The, th- the two are linked uh, at the end of this program, a one-hour program today. Okay, you ready? Yes. Okay, let's go. Uh, uh, a man by the name of George Santayana made a comment that uh, he was a philosopher. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that's the problem with Vietnam. Uh, by the way, and I also want to mention that what we're going to talk about today is really, as Patrick Henry called it, a painful truth. Because this government, I'll make it a summary form to begin with, this government planned the Vietnamese War in 1964, uh, uh, 15 years before it started in 1964. So that was 1945, 19 years to 64, it's correct. Mm -hmm. And that means that we wanted this war, we planned it, the Gulf of Tonkin event that got us, got us started into the war never happened. We'll discuss that if we have time. And then we'll get into the war itself because the war was, uh, the, 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 Vietnam was divided uh, into a north and a south, and the north was given uh, allowed to be a communist nation, and the south was supposed to be free. And the uh, North Vietnamese invaded North Viet, uh, South Vietnam, and the war started. But if the North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese had a war because of their lack of technology, it would have been uh, an army fighting on oxen or maybe even walking, throwing spears at each other. But this, this the people that planned America's involvement in this uh, war said, we've got to have a major war with uh, technology, meaning missiles, rockets, tanks, jet airplanes, airfields, battleships, aircraft carriers, uh, trucks, tanks, you name it. And there's only two nations in the world that could supply that in any quantity, and one was Russia and the other was the United States. And unfortunately, so then Russia uh, was uh, invited to and, uh, support or su- supply the North, uh, and the United States would supply the South, and then this is the key to this involvement. Our government supplied Russia with the technology to kill Americans. I will prove that today. By the way, I want to point out while, while we're talking about this that all of what we're covering is a brief review of a four-hour DVD called Vietnam, America's Betrayal and Treason, 
which is available on my website. You can go there and watch it yourself if you so choose. In fact, I would encourage you to do so and download it, make copies, and get it into the hands of others because this is an incredible story as we're going to see. Now, who am I and what are my credentials? Uh, thank you for mentioning it, Bruce. I've been a researcher into the conspiratorial view of history for over 40 years. Uh, it's actually close to 50. I started in 1962, and this is the year, of course, 2010. That's 48 years. And I've been doing this, and I've written three, actually four books. We'll talk about really the only one tonight, The Unseen Hand. Uh, and, but there's three others, and you can read about these all on my website. Now, let's define the word murder. Murder is the killing of, taking of life without, the moral, without a moral cause, because that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to charge two American presidents, Lyndon Johnson, from 1964 when the war started to 1969, and then President Richard Nixon from 1969 to 1975, I'm going to charge both of those men with first-degree premeditated murder. I'm going to charge the Congress and the Senate with first-degree premeditated murder and the media as well because they knew what I'm going to tell you was going on, and yet they did nothing about it. They did not tell us the, uh, the, the truth about Vietnam, as we'll try to reveal very briefly. I would encourage you, if, if this uh, story as we relay it today has some interest to you, please, by all means, go watch the video for four hours and learn just exactly what this war was all about. Now, let's go back to 1941 to 45 with World War II. Uh, the Japanese had invaded Southeast Asia, and, of course, we were fighting Japan as in the two-theater war. Uh, we were fighting them in the Pacific and that area. And so the United States was fighting uh, the uh, uh, Japanese in that area. And as, as the war was ending, Japan pulled back, and the CIA, actually the OSS, which is the precursor to the CIA, came into that area, gathered up all of the ammunition, weather, weapons, food, uh, et cetera, that they could find that the Japanese just abandoned on their way out, pulling out of there, and turned it over to Ho Chi Minh, the Moscow-trained communist. When they knew that he was a member of the Communist Party, he was actually had formed the uh, Communist Party in Vietnam. He was a uh, had been trained in Moscow. When he was in France, he joined the French Communist Party, and then when he got to Viet Vietnam, he formed what later became the Viet Cong. And all of this was known to the United States. Uh, uh, briefly, let's go now to the next step. This all happened in 1945. And in Pride Magazine in 1973 had a story in it. I've got a copy of it on my video. You'll see it. It reads, When Ho Chi Minh, the leader of the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese government leader, when Ho Chi Minh was an intelligent intelligence agent for the United States, and which means he worked for us. He was working for the United States government, the OSS at that time. Charles Fenn, the, uh, the, uh, the OSS agent, said, quote, we recruited Ho in March of 1945. We supplied him with weapons, radio equipment, operators, and medicine. All of it served to reinforce his position and status, unquote. So we were 
guilty of starting the war by fending, supplying and arming and training Ho Chi Minh and the Viet Cong. Hmm. Now, in 1960, um, well, actually, yeah, 1953, President Eisenhower started uh, sending military advisors into Vietnam to train South Vietnam because the North Vietnamese had invaded. And in 1960, John Kennedy was elected president of the United States. And someplace along the line, between 1960 and 1963, he learned the plans of our government in this war, that we were going to fight a war that we didn't have to fight. And John Kennedy issued orders, and I'll read from the orders themselves in my documentary, that he that we were going to withdraw. He started the withdrawal by requesting the urge, the uh, withdrawal of a thousand troops, and uh, in 1963, and ultimately after the election of 1964, he would plan a complete withdrawal. Uh, and of course, he was sent to Dallas, uh, Texas, in 1963, and assassinated, and never came home. Four days after that assassination, Lyndon Johnson, who was vice president, stepped up to the presidency, issued an order rescinding John Kennedy's orders and put us back on a war footing. Hmm. So John Kennedy had wanted to end the war, planned 18 years before, and Johnson wanted to carry out the plans of this conspiracy that wanted the war uh, and it started in 1964. Now, during the campaign of 64, Lyndon Johnson was running as a peace candidate. We don't want our American boys to do the fighting. For Asian boys, we don't want to get tied down in a land war in Asia, which means that we would not have a war. There would be no war. And, and they were labeling Barry Goldwater as a warmonger. He was running against uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was going to seek his first uh, term as a president outright after becoming a vice, a vice president, first and president. So they were, in fact, I remember because I worked in the Goldwater campaign as a volunteer in 1964, that I was told, if you vote for Goldwater, I'm warning you, we'll be at war with uh, uh, North Vietnam within six months of that election. And sure enough, I voted for Barry Goldwater, and we were at war with, <laughs> with North Vietnam in Vietnam uh, within six months. Actually, it was less time than that, but uh, Goldwater didn't win. Goldwater didn't win. Uh, Johnson did. So Johnson was lying, and he knew he was lying because he had already made the plans to continue the plans that were made, plans that were made in 1945. So now we've got the uh, Gulf of Tonkin event. The Gulf of Tonkin event was the incident where a couple of our destroyers were attacked in the international waters between uh, North Vietnam and Red China. Uh, international waters means any ship can float in there as long as it's not. Uh, tampering with the uh, uh, waters off the coast of the other nations, and so it was it was doing a peaceful job, and it was attacked, uh, and because it was attacked, Lyndon Johnson uh, proclaimed that we needed to have a war with them to retaliate because our ships were attacked by these ruthless North Vietnamese. But the tragic part is that the Gulf of Tonkin never happened, and our government knew that. You can go onto YouTube today on the Internet and listen to the Secretary of State, uh, and he'll announce quite clearly his name was uh, Robert McNamara. There was no attack on the ships in the Gulf of Tonkin, and therefore, quote, it didn't happen, unquote. And yet we were now at war. 
So in other words, they finally got what they wanted, an incident to provoke the American people into anger so that we would go to war. The uh, Gulf of War, Gulf of Tonkin Resolution passed the House 416 to nothing and the Senate 88 to 2, and then Johnson started the war that was planned in 1945, but he started it in 1964. Now, why did they want this war? Let me tell you why. It's very, this is very, very important. And, of course, we're doing this very quickly. There was a war called World War One between 1914 and 1918, and the United States had stayed out of it. And in 1912, there was an election of Woodrow Wilson, who was running as a peace candidate, saying, I will stay out of the war. We will keep us out of the war. We're not going to go to war. And all the time he was doing that, our government was planning to get us into that war. In 1915, there was a ship called the Lusitania sitting in the New York Harbor. Uh, it's a, it was a British-owned uh, pleasure, pleasure yacht, you know, a pleasure boat. Uh, I call it the love boat, uh, sitting in the dock, and it was going back to London to get involved with the war. And it was, uh, by the way, it was half owned by the English government and half owned by Cunard Lines, and that means that the, uh, the, the condition was that if a war started, the ship would revert to the uh, to the English government, and they could use it as a troop carrier, and that's what it was doing. Our government convinced uh, 132 Americans that it was safe to board the ship and that they should do so. It didn't matter that it was going into a theater of war. It was a love boat. And all the time that they, that happened, they knew, our government knew, that J.P. Morgan had loaded 6 million rounds of ammunition in the hull of the Lusitania. Our government then uh, conspired with Winston Churchill, the first Lord of the Admiralty, to sink the Lusitania and the, the German submarine who was the, whose presence was known because the English government had broken the, the German war code. We knew where their submarines were, and we knew, we knew that the U-20 was sitting in the water right off the coast of uh, Ireland and that it could... Uh, when it surfaced, it could sink the Lusitania, or actually, ships have a periscope, it could actually sink the Lusitania, which was sitting there waiting for a destroyer to help it in the course of getting back to Liverpool, going to Liverpool, where it would dock. So our government knew about this. As soon as that happened, our government uh, retaliated by saying, we've got to get into the war, and we did. Sir Edmund Gray, English Foreign Secretary, was asked, what were asked uh, uh, Colonel Edward Mandel House, the Edward, the uh, advisor, major advisor to President Woodrow Wilson, what will America do if Germany sinks an ocean liner with American passengers aboard? And Colonel House said, I believe that a flame of indignation would sweep the United States, and that by sufficient would be that by itself, and that by itself would be sufficient to carry us into war. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. World War I, we didn't want in. We were tricked into getting in because our government conspired to sink the Lusitania. World War II, we didn't want to get into that war. Uh, President Will, uh, uh, Roosevelt was running for election in 1940. I promise you we'll have no war. My, your boys uh, will not fight in a war, foreign war. There'll be no, uh, no war. We're not going to go to war. I'll say it again and again. And all the time, he was doing that, saying those things. Our government was planning to uh, start to uh, provoke Japan into attacking us at Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941. Four battleships were sunk. Four battleships were damaged. 
zero aircraft carriers were damaged, 2,345 military were killed, and the next day, uh, uh, President Roosevelt asked for a declaration of war, which is constitutional. We, quote, we don't like it, we didn't want to get into it, but we are in it, and we're going to fight it with everything we've got. Now listen to this, America. This is a this is recorded by Secretary of War Henry Stimson. I've got to read this. It's a couple of sentences, but please listen to this, because nine congressional investigations said after, during uh, the war and after the war concluded that Roosevelt did not know about Pearl Harbor. Listen to his Secretary of War, who put this in his own book, a diary that he was keeping, and later it came out in congressional hearings. In spite of the risk involved in letting the Japanese fire the first shot, we realized that in order to have the full support of the American people, it was desirable to make sure the Japanese be the ones to do this, so that there should remain no doubt in anyone's mind as to who were the aggressors. The question was how we, Americans, should maneuver them, the Japanese, into firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves, unquote. In other words, they knew during the entirety, at the beginning of the war, that we were maneuvering Japan into fighting, attacking us at Pearl Harbor. And I'll, I'll document that repeatedly in my DVD to show you that we did provoke the, the attack at uh, Pearl Harbor. If you go to my website, the first thing you'll see is a copy of the Hilo, Hawaii newspaper for Sunday, November the 30th, 1941. That was the Sunday before the December 7th, 1941 attack at Pearl Harbor. And the headline reads, Japan may strike over weekend. How did the newspaper know and Roosevelt not know? How come? Please, America, explain that to me and the 2,345 men who died in uh, Pearl Harbor, and also uh, something like 53 million that died in World War II. So in other words, we didn't want to get into World War I. We were provoked into it with an attack that our government planned. We didn't want to get into World War II, so our government was uh, planned an attack at Pearl Harbor to get us into World War II. And now we've got Vietnam with our government uh, uh, provoking an event that didn't happen, convincing the American people that it did happen so that we could use it as the excuse to go and start a war in Vietnam that was planned by our government in 1945. Now, as I pointed out, the uh, American government supplied Russia during the entirety of the war. Our government supplied the uh, South Vietnamese and the Russian government because of some of the assistance we gave it. It wasn't exclusive, but some of the majority of the, or probably a good percentage of the facilities, the equipment they used, came from the United States, and that was used against us, and 58,000 American soldiers died. Now, I want to prove that very quickly with a man by the name of Anthony Sutton, who published a book in 1973 called National Suicide, Military Aid to the Soviet Union. And by the way, this man was, is, in my humble opinion, one of the great researchers of all time. Anthony Sutton, actually it's pronounced Anthony with no H, but I, it's very different. I'm not used to saying it that way. He said, quote, there is no such thing as Soviet technolo- technology. Almost all not perhaps 90 to 95 percent came from the United States and its NATO allies. The Soviet Union has used 
American technology to kill Americans, and it went on during the entirety of the war. And I can prove that abundantly, including the use by uh, using American reports published by our own government. Now, let's get, I'm going to summarize a lot of this information and by getting involved with one particular candidate, Richard Nixon, in 1968, seeking the presidency. He gave a speech at the American Legion Convention in uh, uh, August or so of 1968, in which he said, quote, there should be no aid or credit of any kind with any country, including the Soviet Union that aids the enemy in Vietnam, end quote. Now, what's wrong with that? That's absolutely moral, absolutely constitutional, and absolutely rational. But Russia was supplying approximately 80% of the weapons, materials, etc., to kill Americans in Vietnam. Candidate Richard Nixon said, I promise you, there'll be none. And now Nixon was elected, so we now can know whether or not Nixon uh, did deliver President Nixon, did he deliver on the promises made by candidate Nixon? And the answer is unqualifiedly no. Did he have the power to do so? Yes. The Export Control Act of 1949 provides the evidence, the president provides the president with the power to prohibit exports during a time of national security. That means if we're at war in North Vietnam, President Nixon solely, without going to Congress, without asking the American people to do this, without getting a vote on it by the American people or anyone else, he could stop it. Did he do so? No. There should be no aid of any kind. And let me tell you how we can prove this. Uh, in my video, you'll see copies of an export control bulletin published by the Department of Commerce. And it lists the commodities licensed for export to East European destinations. It was a quarterly report. I, this particular one is the third quarter of 1970, towards the end of the war. The war ended in 1974, 72, I guess it was. Here's what we sent them, at least only a part. There's a full page of this stuff. We sent them polyvinyl butyl, which is synthetic rubber used in the uh, making bulletproof glass. Gas, uh, glass. Ethyl anti-knock compounds, which is used in gasoline to power trucks and tanks. $170 million worth of electronic computers, parts for rolling mills, ball and roller bearings. It's impossible to roll a tank, move an armored personnel carrier, rotate a radar, fire a missile without ball and roller bearings. Hmm. And yet we sent ball and roller bearings to Russia during the entirety of the Vietnamese War. Why? Why? We sent them $4 million worth of oil and gas field production equipment. We sent them airborne navigation equipment. And here's the reason I used this particular report. Oh, it's, it's a quarterly. Uh, there was over, this was like the 70, uh, 98, because I forgot the number. But it's quite a number. It started in 49. It was up. This was 1970. We sent them $17 million in trucks and parts. Why? Why would we do that? Here's why. Ho Chi Minh, there was a thing called the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was apparently fought a, a, a road hacked out of the jungles over there to get supplies from North Vietnam to South Vietnam, and it was called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Russia was supplying uh, trucks 
and the equipment and soldiers, everything else they needed to go into South Vietnam to kill Americans, American pilots were sent into the air to destroy those trucks down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And Russia, note, gee, look at that. Our inventory of trucks is being depleted. We need to get some replacement trucks. So they went to the United States of America to buy heavy-duty trucks and get them and move them along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Why? Why would we do that? America, please answer that question. Why would we do that? I've got those reports. Uh, I've got three of them. I showed them in my DVD. When I went back to the University of Arizona Library to see them uh, sometime later, I don't remember when, it was probably in the ni- 90s maybe, uh, they weren't there anymore. And I asked the lady, I said, where, where are those reports? Where? Did you move them? She said, no, we were told to destroy them uh, because of a lack of space. Now, understand this report's no more than a quarter inch thick. And even if there were 200 of them, it would take up approximately five foot of shelf space on a shelf hmm. in a four-story U of A library uh, with the basement, a three-story wing and basements under both parts of the building. And there was not enough room to carry these five uh, feet of shelves, uh, a shelf to cover this report. And I don't know why they did it, but I'll bet you it's because Ralph Pepperson was uh, making them public, letting people know way back even in during the Vietnamese War that they could use these reports to convince the American people that our government was supplying the enemy to kill 58,000 American fighting men and ladies and women in that country. Why would we do that? We sent them... Uh, shipping containers, aircraft and automotive spark plugs, petroleum bandages, rifle cleaning compounds, $30 million of cattle hides, and we know, I'm sure we got a guarantee that they wouldn't use those to make combat boots, $30 million worth of cattle hides. Hmm. But here's the, one of the things I want to mention that's really scary. Later on during that war, in 1970, I think it was, uh, a Green Beret sergeant by the name of Peter Stark toured the country trying to get this to stop. And he came to Portland, Oregon while I lived there, and I went to go hear him. Uh, And here's what Peter Stark was telling us. In 1963, I believe it is, I can't find my notes on the, uh, here it is, uh, 1966, here's what he said, quote, Peter Stark, Green Beret veteran uh, uh, from Vietnam, wearing his uniform there the day that he spoke in Portland, 1970. In 1966, the U.S. sent the Soviet Union the specifications to a glycerol plant. Now, remember, the war started in 1964. This is two years later. Glycerol was used in the manufacture of explosives, Peter Stark said. Specifically, glycerol is used as a detonator in what he called a booby trap, a landmine. The landmine is made of two parts. The top part is glycerol, the bottom part is TNT. What the enemy would do, this was, these were made in, in Russia, sent down there so that the uh, Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese could use them to kill Americans. They would, they would dig a little hole, put the, the mine in there, uh, bury it with a little bit, maybe a quarter inch or a half an inch of a dust or mud, debris, and then someone would step on it, and when they did, they would explode the glycerol down into the TNT. That would explode the, the metal container back up and blow off the legs, the arms, and or kill the uh, soldier that stepped on it. Now, if Peter Stark is right, by the way, I confirmed that he was, over 50% of all American casualties have come from booby traps. 
supplied by the Russian government, made with glycerol, supplied in a factory, sent to Russia, the specifications to it, two years after the war had started. Why? Why would we do that? America, please tell me that. Who blew off the legs of these soldiers and arms and killed these people with this booby trap? Was it the North Vietnamese? No. Was it the Viet Cong? No. Was it the Russians? No. It was the United States government. That is criminal. Ladies and gentlemen, that happened. All the time this was going on, between 1964, I think it was 66 maybe, there was a petition drive being conducted by a group I'll name in a minute, going around America with a petition to the President and the Congress of the United States to stop the aid and trade. Stop it. Please stop it. It's killing American soldiers. Why? And that was signed by over 4 million signatures, the largest petition drive known up to that date. And in, in 1970 or so, I, I've got a copy of where they were sent in bundles of 10,000 all over, 10,000 signatures all over Congress to the president. Who did that? Was it the VFW, the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, the Daughters of the American Revolution, CBS News, AFL-CIO? None of the above. It was the John Birch Society. They're only the group that wanted it, that cut it enough to try to stop this. And it was the official policy of the United States government. That means that our government knowingly sent technology to Russia to kill Americans, and it didn't stop even when Richard Nixon promised us it would when he had the authority to do so under the Export Control Act of 1949. Why would they do that? It is one of the great problems that I I cannot answer. I guess I can because I'm going to tell you if we, if we have time to get into it at the very end. There's one more thing I got to mention while we're here. Mm-hmm. Because this war didn't make sense, and the United States government would not allow our fighting forces to win the war. I proved that with what they call the rules of engagement that didn't make sense. American soldiers were killing their own officers. American soldiers would take a grenade pull a pin, throw it at an officer to kill him. Why? Because the war didn't make sense, and he, the lieutenant was the one ordering up into this war with, with its certain chances of being killed or maimed or destroyed, and they said enough is enough. According to Wikipedia, 123 soldiers, lieutenants primarily, were killed by what they call fragging, by throwing grenades, and they said there's over 1,200 that, they, according to Wikipedia, 1,200 that could have been killed by fragging. That's say 1,300 soldiers that were killed by our own troops because the war didn't make sense. And why didn't it make sense? Because our government didn't want to win the war. They didn't want to win the war. We did everything we could to make sure our government didn't win the war. That's scary. That's called murder. That's called first-degree premeditated murder. Oh, by the way, over there, let me mention this as well. Congress tried to stop it at least twice that I was able to find in my research. Who knows how many other times? But at least twice I was able to find documentation that congressmen introduced legislation to stop the sale of American technology to Russia while it was known by our government that Russia was supplying 80% of the technology to fight the war and kill Americans. And both times, both times, both times the legislation was defeated, defeated 
Why? Why would they do that? Why would Congress do that? Why? Why? Please tell me why. Let me tell you this. Uh, I lived in, I still do, I live in Tucson, Arizona, and my congressman, well, actually the congressman in the district next door, was having public meetings. And I went to him and I said, Congressman, I, I had my copy of the 1970 report in front of me. I handed it to him. I said, why, why did you allow this to go on? I said, and it documented, listed the commodities sold and how much of it in the report written by the Department of Commerce, not made up by the John Birch Society or anyone else. There it was. You could see it with your own eyes. And the congressman said, it created jobs. It created jobs. That's the reason we sent the technology. And I said, Congressman, yes, it did. The morticians loved it. The morticians could hire more people to handle the bodies that were killed by our sending the technology to North Vietnam. And when I said that, the congressman had other duties and walked away. Why? Why would he do that? When there were attempts by Congress to stop it, they didn't do it. Now, the reason they claim was that the the uh, American government, if we provoked, if we got angry and tough and started uh, stopping the aid and trade with Russia, uh, Russia would get angry and send troops into Vietnam, and that we didn't want that, or maybe even threaten us with a nuclear war. So that was the reason we were afraid that there would be a nuclear war if we got tough with Russia, and that was the explanation given to us. But it didn't matter that 58,000 American fighting forces were killed brutally by our own government. That was the price we had to pay. And I'll tell you why, that was as bogus as a $1 bill in a few minutes. So even that, that was the explanation. Now, let me tell you this. This is the key to the story. In 1970, 71 approximately, a man found out about a dredge in the port of Haiphong. Now, let me, I, in, the, in my video, I show you a picture, a map of uh, Vietnam, and there in the north is a, a port called Viet, uh, uh, Haiphong. H-A-I-P-H-O-N-G. Haiphong was where the Russians and other nations were bringing in materials. Eighty uh, percent of the war materials came through this one port alone. And so uh, the port of Haiphong was important. And so this man found out about it and also learned that the port was not on the ocean. It was not in the Gulf of Tonkin, which was adjacent to the, uh, to the uh uh, port itself, but it was inland about six miles, and what they did was a lake, like, fed by a thing called the Red River, and the Red River was named the Red River because it was a muddy river and was dropping tons of mud and debris, everything else, into the uh, into the lake, and then there was a canal that was chopped out to get the lake uh, out to the ocean, so ocean-going vessels would have a deep enough port to get into the uh, port, deep enough water to get into the port to unload their cargo so that it would kill Americans. And uh, during the uh, early stages of the war, a man decided to release the Pentagon Papers, and the question was asked, what do we do about Haiphong? And the question was, nothing because we don't want to provoke Russia. See, we don't want to provoke Russia. So a, a man by the name of Nord Davis, now gone on to his reward, I believe, uh, several years ago. But Nord Davis found out about this during the war in 1970, maybe 71. And he decided, he found out that there was a huge dredge in the port that was mucking this mud out to get it on, the, on shore so that the water would be deep enough to take ocean-going vessels. And Nord Davis said, wait a minute, if we sink that dredge, the port would 
muddy up. And within six months, the war would be over. One of the one of the magazines of the day, like Popper Mechanics, I, mean, I don't have the, the actual name here in front of me, but it's on my DVD someplace, published, a, a interviewed 53 retired naval admirals and general, army generals, etc. How do you win the war in Vietnam? This was during the war, and they said number three step was uh, blockade or, or uh, mine the port of Haiphong. But see, notice that only retired officers are able to figure that out. American generals and admirals can't when they're in active duty. No, even American generals and admirals tried to get the port uh, blockaded or mined. So here's uh, uh, Nord Davis deciding that he would sink the dredge. He, he raised $100,000 in pledges, and he uh, put it up a flyer. I've got a copy of it. It's shown in the video, and you can see what it said. And it was basically a, uh, an appeal to the American fighting men, the people who could fly jet airplanes that had the equipment to do this, uh, to, to take their jet airplanes that they were assigned, uh, get the equipment to do it with, fly over Haiphong, and, and blow up the mine, the, uh, the dredge. If they do that, the dredge would, be, uh, would, port, would uh, sink, and the port would be uh, un unusable, and they couldn't get 80% of the war supplies into the, into the nation. And according to Nord, I talked to him later. I didn't know him, but I called him on the phone. I said, Nord, tell me about this. He said, yes, I'll be happy to. And he did so. I got a recording of it. If anyone wants to hear it, I'll send it to you. So he said, uh, yes, it's true. And so he said, I said, we got a lot of calls from Air, Air, Air Force pilots saying, what, are you, what is this about? Well, I'll give you $100,000 if you can prove you sank the dredge in Haiphong. Oh, no, we can't fly over Haiphong. We have rules of engagement. We can't even go over there. We can't fly over it, can't look over it, can't even get, even if our airplane goes down, we've got to stay out of that area. Uh, so I said, I said, but yeah, but if you sink the dredge, the war would end, and all of you pilots could go home. And they said, it's not enough money, not enough money, and I'd get court-martialed, and I'd lose my pension. So the American colonels and majors and captains, wherever it was, flying those airplanes decided it wasn't enough money. Hmm. So they didn't sink the dredge. So Nord Davis said, I'll try, uh, try some other way myself. And at that time, a retired Army colonel, I name him, show you a picture of him in my DVD. You'll see him. He came forth and said, I'll sink it. How? He said, I can swim out there. I'm a, I, I speak Vietnamese. I was trained by the United States Army. I was a Green Beret uh, colonel in Vietnam. I'll go there, find the dredge, swim out there, plant explosives underneath it, and then swim away, and then push a button, and down it'll go, and that'll end it. And he said, okay, go try it. And when he got there, he found the dredge was huge. And you'll see a picture of that dredge in the uh, video. It's huge. It's bigger. Than, I don't know. I've never seen many dredges, but it's huge. Hey, and Ralph. So he said, hey, yes, hey, go ahead. We've got about five minutes. And uh, I want to remind the, the listeners today that your, your website is ralph epperson.com and you have a dvd and information more information on this topic uh than we can yes. cover today but you've got five more minutes ralph okay thank you i'll just end with this nord davis the the colonel couldn't do it he found out how big the dredge was it would take many men to swim out there to do it uh, and he decided the more men you get you know crawling around north vietnam wouldn't be very successful so nord davis decided with the uh, uh, Marine General and also named in my DVD that they would force the government to do it if, because they would threaten them and say, if you don't do it, we will. And that ended the war. The uh, Admiral, Admiral in charge of the entire Pacific fleet 
called Henry Kissinger and said, we've got to do something about the war. And Richard Nixon ended the war in 1972 on the very day of the deadline that he was given by uh, this colonel who went to Hawaii to see the admiral. And that ended the war. Nixon dropped mines in the port. Now, notice when he did, he didn't seem to be very concerned about Russia threatening us with a nuclear attack. Hmm. Why? 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 That was the major reason we didn't sink it originally in 64. Why was, well, how could he be able to get away with it in 1972? In other words, ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to you. Please, I urge you to go watch this DVD. Show me where I'm wrong. Watch it as you would on the jury. Watch it yourself. And if I'm right, we've got to demand that our government, because what I pointed out at the very beginning, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I'm saying that we are repeating it in Iraq and Afghanistan even today. And you'll learn that why that is and why the whole war was planned by our government in 1945 by watching my DVD entitled Vietnam, America's Betrayal and Treason, ralph-epperson.com. Go there, watch it yourself, make copies, make it available. And I want to thank you, Bruce, for your, for your time you gave me to talk, say these things. I'm sorry it was quick and brief, but that's, this is a, a brief summary of a four-hour DVD you can watch. All of this is documented. All of this is proven. I've got pictures, copies of reports, copies of the books I use, naming the people word for word from their own speeches, etc. You can watch this and know that our government murdered 58,000 of our own fighting forces in Vietnam, murdered in the first degree. Well, Ralph, you, t you told me that this was going to be very controversial today, and it is, and I hope people travel over your website, ralph-epperson.com. Uh, Ralph, thank you so much for being my guest today. Bruce, it was my pleasure anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you. On behalf of Ralph Epperson, Chad Miles, this is Bruce Collins. Thank you for joining us this week on The Bruce Collins Show. Join us here next week. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.